Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Reminder that an hour from now you can catch the Cougar pregame show as they take on Portland State this afternoon. You can listen to play-by-play starting at 3 p.m. right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. What Matt Chazanel, Alex Brink, Jessamine McIntyre, shout out to that crew. And what a uh, college football Saturday this is shaping up to be. Some great games going on early on this morning. And, uh, I mean, look, it's Hour 2 of Seattle Sports Saturday. You know how it starts with a big three. Number one. Well, Curtis, you mentioned it. Big day of college football today, so let's head straight to the scoreboard. Ohio State just punching in a touchdown to narrow Oregon's lead to just seven points. 28-21, Ducks on top of the Buckeyes, currently with 12.54 left in the fourth. Buckeyes about to kick off to the Ducks, so we'll keep you updated on that one as it has major implications here in the rest of the Pac-12. But the other big games of the day so far, Auburn up big time on Alabama State, 55-0. Florida Gators up on uh, cross-state rival South Florida, 35-3 in the third quarter there. End of the first half, Virginia Tech on top of Middle Tennessee, 14-0. And a close game here as Notre Dame up 7-3 on Toledo. But Toledo driving on the Irish there. We're going to keep an eye again, like we mentioned in the last segment. UW versus Michigan. Big matchup later today. Primetime, 5 p.m. And then the Cougs, like Curtis mentioned, kicking off a little bit later today against Portland State. So what will happen with the rest of the Pac-12? Well, it starts with Oregon, so we'll keep you updated as the rest of the show goes on. Number two. Glad to see Brian Kelly didn't execute his entire team as he said he was going to do following the Florida State game. Uh, but, you know, glad to see everybody survived this week. Yes. Uh, to baseball we go for all the space the Yankees were able to put between themselves and the rest of the AL wildcard teams with that 13-game win streak they had just a week ago. Doesn't appear as though it's going to last as they have now dropped seven in a row and sit behind the Red Sox for the first wild card spot. As for those Sox, they're dealing with their own issues as now 10 different players have spent time on the COVID list over the last couple weeks. They added Chris Sale to that number yesterday. It has been just a brutal, brutal stretch for that team. Boston outfielder Hunter Renfro yesterday on a Boston area sports station said that Major League Baseball went so far as to tell the Sox to stop testing players so that they wouldn't lose any more to the COVID list. That's not good. That's not very ethical, Major League Baseball. Shame on you if that did happen. Keeping it in the tight wildcard race, the Blue Jays appear to be the most dangerous team as they rattled off seven straight wins of their own before losing Friday to the Orioles. And let's not forget about the Oakland A's either, who keep hanging around as well. All these teams within a game of each other, and oh, by the way, the Mariners, one of those five teams sitting within a game of the wild card picture. These last few weeks, about to get real weird in Major League Baseball. Number three. Well, the Basketball Hall of Fame will add a new class to its halls later today at 4 p.m. And it will include a Seattle basketball legend, the 16-person class of 2021 will be enshrined, led by former NBA superstars Chris Bosh, Paul Pierce, Big Ben Wallace, and Chris Webber. 
Boston Celtics legend and Seattle native Bill Russell also being enshrined for his coaching career, making him the fifth person to receive the honor of being a Hall of Famer as both a player and a coach. However, that's not the Seattle legend we're talking about. We're talking about Seattle Storm legend, our very own Lauren Jackson. She will be heading into the Hall of Fame, averaging 18.9 points per game, 7.7 boards, 46% field goal shooting in 12 seasons for the Storm, three-time MVP, Defensive Player of the Year in 07, seven-time All-Star, eight-time All-WNBA, won the 2004 and 2010 WNBA championships with the Storm, oh yeah, and three silver medals with Australia as they uh, in the Olympic Games. So shout out to Lauren Jackson and everything she did for the Seattle Storm, a true basketball legend here in this area, basketball city at heart. So shout out to one of our best, Lauren Jackson. Yeah, shout out to her. Shout out the WNBA a couple weeks ago released their list of the top 25 players over the first 25 seasons in league history. Three people who you identify with the Seattle Storm on that list, Sue Bird, Lauren Jackson, and Brianna Stewart. It's going to be really hard, I think, to pick. Well, actually, I don't know if it'll be really hard to pick which one of those three will have the greatest legacy here in Seattle, because I think Sue Bird might have that cemented in stone, having been a part of every championship team, having spent her entire career in Seattle. What is it, year 18, year 19, something like that for her right now. And then also, I mean, but look, Brianna Stewart off to an incredible start in her career too. Two championships, an MVP to go along with that. I mean, it's going to be really hard to figure out which of those three will leave the biggest imprint on the league when their career is done. Uh, great problem to have if you're a Storm fan trying to pick which of those three is is the one that you would put above the rest. Yeah, a, a great problem to have. And again, for the future generation of basketball players here in Seattle, male, female, doesn't matter. What you can learn from watching these Storm teams play and, and what they've been able to accomplish in their history here as an organization has been truly remarkable and, and one of the best in the WNBA history. So. Again, a tip of the cap to all three of those ladies. Truly can't wait. to. I, I think they'll all have statues, or they should all have statues at some point uh, in their careers. And uh, I can't wait to hopefully, you know, go in and visit those one day. Because, again, their legacy here is remarkable, and it's, it's earned. They earned it through their play. So uh, shout out to all of them. Shout out. Honorable mentions this week. Baseball Hall of Fame holding their induction ceremonies for the classes of 2020 and 2021. The notable inductees, that'd be the captain, Derek Jeter, uh, from the Yankees. And then Larry Walker played for Montreal, Colorado, and St. Louis in his career. One of the great hitters of the 1990s. Uh, put up big numbers playing for the Rockies, won an MVP in 1997 for them. Shout out to those two guys and also shout out to the rest of the induction class. By the way, get Lou Pinella in the Major League Baseball Hall of oh, Fame yeah. at some point. Uh, that's that's a bit overdue if you ask me. And then also big news in the world of college athletics this week as the Big 12 will be saying goodbye to Texas and Oklahoma in a couple of years. They will be saying hello to BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF uh, beginning in 2023. So two years from now, those four teams will be added to the conference, kind of making the Big 12 the new like AAC in a way, 
where you've got BYU and West Virginia are in the same conference. That doesn't really make a lot of sense, but we're going to make it make sense. BYU and Central Florida are in the same conference. I don't. There's nothing geographic about those rivalries, but uh, you know what? We're going to see those matchups a lot more often in the Big 12. Uh, just speaking as a Pac-12 fan, very disappointing to see the conference A, decline expansion, and B, let BYU go to a conference that, look, you know, they're going to add to the name value of the Big 12, obviously. That's why you bring in a school like that. Would have been nice to see the Pac-12 maybe uh, reach out to BYU, even though, you know, they're not in line with, you know, the whole research institutions that the Pac-12, you know, will, that all 12 schools are. They're a religious institution, which the Pac-12 hierarchy kind of scoffs at. But look, they're a big name brand, and I think the Big 12 is much better off today than they were a couple weeks ago when, when BYU was not a member of that conference. Yeah, and then, pardon me, think about some of the uh, the programs and what they're good at as far as athletics. I think it's a great sort of overall addition to them as they get some, you know, a little bit better on basketball side of things, a little bit better on the football side of things, a little bit better on all the sort of Olympic sports side of things as well. So good on them. And it, uh, it appears, Curtis, that the uh, Oregon Ducks may have scored a touchdown. We're uh, yeah, 35-21, 10 minutes left in the fourth here. So the Ducks, again, increasing their lead in Columbus. A lot riding on this game, so we'll keep you updated again as the rest of the uh, show continues on. But, Curtis, uh, I'm getting those little nervous butterflies in my stomach right now. <laughs> yeah, big implications in that one, not just for the top of the Pac-12 conference, but really the college football playoff as well. I mean, Ohio State, everybody kind of assumes we'll be playing for a national championship this year. That could have a wrench seriously thrown into it if the Ducks are, in fact, able to pull this off here late, uh, you know, later on this afternoon as we're, you know, just about half a quarter away from finding out the outcome of that game. So we will definitely keep you posted on that one as we continue on here on Seattle Sports Saturday. But up next, it is time for some NFL headlines. Week one edition. You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Week one. It's here. It's real. We've got a game in the books already. Bucks Cowboys. That went down on Thursday night. Coming down to the wire. Bucks get the last second field goal to knock off Dallas 31-29. We've got a full slate of games going on tomorrow in the NFL. So why don't we take a trip around the NFL just as we do every single Seattle Sports Saturday at about 12:15. Big news, big contract news, record-setting contract between the Steelers and TJ Watt. Watt had been holding in, but they came to an agreement earlier this week. He's probably the best player the Steelers got, Taylor. Uh, that Watt family, I mean, they turn out linebackers and defensive ends and pass rushers better than just about any family in recent memory. But uh, good to see a good player get rewarded. I mean, it's the Steelers, so I don't really like that part. But, hey. T.J. Watt setting records with his uh, with his bank account here. 
Yeah, well earned. And yeah, I'm assuming the conversation over the next few years will evolve into TJ versus JJ and who has the better career long term. Uh, but yeah, well earned contract. Hopefully, Curtis, like you said, it cripples them a little bit financially and they can't quite afford a couple players. And those players maybe find a way here to Seattle and then end up helping them win a Super Bowl. I would not be opposed to any of that. So, uh, Congrats to TJ Watt, but Steelers, I hope your uh, pocketbooks are a little bit lighter over the next few seasons because of it. Sticking in the AFC North, wild injuries going on with the Baltimore Ravens this last couple of weeks. All three running backs, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill, they're lost for the season with torn ACL. So what do the Ravens do? They hit the rewind button to 2016 and sign Latavius Murray, Le'Veon Bell, and Devontae Freeman, which would have been the greatest running back stable five years ago. Now those guys all kind of clinging to life in the NFL. Uh, But those three guys are now the Ravens' running backs heading into week one. There were a few Seahawks fans out there kind of wondering, would the Ravens dip into the Seahawks' running back room and try to trade for one of those? Because right now there's, what, five guys the Seahawks are taking into week one here with... Uh, Carson and Penny, Collins, Homer, and Dallas. I mean, that's a lot of running backs to have at one time, but looks like the Ravens are going to try it out with the veterans, you know, the, the guys who are on their last legs here. Taylor, when you look at that running back room, it is not J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards anymore. Do you think Baltimore is going to have maybe as good of a year as everybody had kind of anticipated them to have prior to the injuries? Or do you think these are going to be ones that we look back on in December and January and say, man, if they had just had some healthy young running backs, this season could have turned out a lot differently. Well, to me, I think the actual DeMarcus Peters injury might be the bigger impact for them because we've heard um, some of the people actually liked Tyson Williams as that third back for them, a sort of third down change of pace back originally behind Dobbins and Edwards and he was in that battle with Justice uh, uh, Justice Hill as well so look don't don't count them out they, the playbook's not going to change they still really much care about that run game and want it to be a focal part of their offense you might see Lamar Jackson take a few more of those designed run plays but uh, don't be surprised again if this Ravens team is still running the rock couple of these guys might make the team in Murray, Bell, and Freeman. And look, if uh, they still need some help, Seahawks could still potentially be a trade partner for them in a couple weeks from now. So that's not off the table completely, Seahawks fans. But uh, for the time being, I think they will go with the uh, the three-headed practice squad monster in Tyson Williams. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a very good point there about the Marcus Peters injury. Ever since he joined the Ravens, he has been one of the league's best cornerbacks after, you know, a couple up and down years in Kansas City and with the Rams. Now he's he's really found a home with Baltimore. Uh, look, Seahawks fans know just how good he can be. Just, you know, a couple of years ago when Baltimore knocked off Seattle here at Lumen Field, Peters, I believe, had a pick six of Russell Wilson that day. Um, that's going to be a big loss for that Ravens team. But you mentioned Lamar Jackson's running ability. I know the season hasn't even started for them yet. I feel like you can lock it in right now that Jackson will have 1,000 yards rushing just because they'll need all 1,000 yards from him because they just there's so many question marks about their running back room right now. Uh, also in the NFL, Cam Newton was cut by the Patriots 
a week ago in a YouTube session with his dad. He said the reason why he thinks he was cut by the Patriots, not really performance-wise, not his COVID status because that was came into question too. No, no, no. It's because he says his popularity was the reason why the Patriots decided to cut him instead of making him their backup quarterback. They didn't want him to be a distraction to Mac Jones. They didn't want Mac Jones to have to worry about his job status, which I think is is fair from that point of view, but it's I don't necessarily think it's the popularity why the Patriots cut him. I think it, it did have to ultimately come down to play. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's the popularity, although there is the old adage that the most popular player on a bad football team is the backup quarterback. So Very true. if you don't want to sort of uh, attack Mac Jones's mentality and get him in that right headspace, this is probably the move to make. And Cam Newton seemed to accept that and understand the reason why in the business side and, and the, the, the playing side of things as well. So it'll be interesting to see where he does end up and what role, if any, he plays on an NFL roster this season. Because I was watching some old Cam Newton highlights this past week of his heydays in Carolina. And wow, I, I forgot how good he truly was at the peak of the Cam Newton sort of era if you want to call it that yeah do you think cam is is done playing do you think there's a team out there in this season that would take a flyer on him it seems as though everybody has their quarterback situation taken care of maybe an injury pops up somewhere along the way and teams are forced to kind of go down that road but do you think this might be the end for cam in the nfl or, or is there still something left a team can get out of him I still think there's something left. I think there's one team that will end up taking a flyer on him at that backup spot. And look, we, we, we see it every single season that a few QBs end up going down. Some, you know, expected, some not so expected. So, you know, could you see Dak go back down? People have been talking about his shoulder still bothering him. And maybe they go get a Cam Newton as an insurance policy. Um, they're already used to media circuses down there in Dallas, so it wouldn't be too much crazier than what they're already going through. But uh, I think he's still got a couple good games left in the tank and can be serviceable to someone if needed. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if Cam does latch on somewhere. And I, I worry, though, that his shoulder which has not really been the same since he suffered that shoulder injury with Carolina that ended his season a couple of years back. He just has not been the Cam Newton that took the Panthers to the Super Bowl that was probably a consensus top five quarterback in the league. He won an, won an MVP that Super Bowl season, which was still statistically one of the greatest seasons a quarterback has ever had. So we know that it's within him, but I don't know if, if it's possible for him to get to that level again. But if you need a quarterback to win you a game, any game, at least a, from a backup standpoint, I don't think you can do much you know, better than Cam Newton because, look, he won the Patriots a few games a year ago, nearly beat the Seahawks here in Seattle all by his lonesome. There's still something there, like you said, Taylor, but also the media circus that comes with Cam Newton. What team wants to put up with that? We've seen Bill Belichick move on from him. We saw Carolina move on from him. At some point, the media circus cannot be 
all that Cam Newton has to offer. So at some point, his play has to stand out above the craziness that he brings to a team. And right now, that's not the case. And I think that's a, a part of the reason why he was let go. Uh, some quarterback news across the NFL, too. Carson Wentz, he will get the start for Indianapolis. That was announced yesterday. And then Trey Lance off San Francisco's injury report. He'll be in uniform Sunday. Still have not really gotten word as to who San Francisco's starting quarterback will be this year. From what I saw in the preseason, Taylor, and, and I, I'm thinking you probably saw the same thing, Trey Lance has to be the guy, right, for San Francisco. Like, that just – it can't be Jimmy G again, can it? Look, I agree with you. If I'm the coach, Trey Lance is my week one starter, if healthy, all things considered. But like you said, Curtis, I think they're going Jimmy G. I think it's going to be Garoppolo to start the season. I think we might get six or seven games into this Garoppolo season before we we see the, the calls for Trey Lance become too loud and they end up putting him in. But uh, look, the longer they want to keep Garoppolo back there, the happier as a Seahawks fan. That's going to make me. So keep Jimmy G back there all you'd like. Let Trey Lance give him a couple years, you know, give him give him a little bit of time to grow. He's like an, a, 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 a plant. You have to nurture it. You have to let you know, you can't rush it. Can't rush out the, the product. So take your time, Niners. No rush on that one. Maybe in three, four years, he's ready. Yeah, you got to keep him in the pot that he came with from the nursery. Yeah. You can't just plant yeah. him out in the yard just yet. You got to, you know, have him establish some roots first. Then you can put him out in the yard. I would be more than okay waiting a couple of years. I would say like four or five years before we ever saw yeah. Trey Lance. Uh, I Six, think that's seven, a, eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just the greatest backup quarterback ever. Trey Lance, keep him on your bench as long as possible, Kyle Shanahan. You, you don't need him. you got Jimmy G. Why would you ever need Trey Lance in, in your starting lineup? Uh, coming up, still to go on Seattle Sports Saturday, we need your shout-outs. Text those into the Mac and Jacks text line, 710-710. Uh, we'll get to those in about 15 minutes or so from now. But up next, what will be the storyline of this Seahawks game come Monday? What are we going to be talking about a couple days from now when we reconvene after the Seahawks take on the Colts. We'll talk that next here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Getting tighter and tighter in the horseshoe this morning. Early afternoon, Ducks ahead 35-28 on the Buckeyes, 7-20 left to play in that one. We are still rolling along here on Seattle Sports Saturday. We need your shout-outs. Text those into the Mac and Jacks text line 710-710 is the number to text if you want yours read on the air. But uh, Taylor, Seahawks taking on the Colts tomorrow, week one. No, Nowhere to hide after week one. Everybody will know where this team stands and, and the talking points that are come of it uh, are going to be <laughs> numerous, obviously. That's just how it is in the NFL. But when you look at the offseason that the Seahawks have had leading up to tomorrow, what do you think is going to be the one thing we look back on, whether it be good or bad, on Monday morning when we reconvene and you know, we're looking back on this Seahawks game. What do you think is going to be the one thing that sticks out above all? 
Well, to me, I think it's going to be, again, for good or for better or for worse, I think it's going to be the lack of KJ Wright out there and whether or not the linebackers did enough to make you confident that you don't need a KJ Wright or you don't, you didn't need that KJ Wright player on this team, or it's going to show you that you did and that, that, that linebacker spot, maybe they were a little bit early in trying to think that they could go out and, and move on from a player of that caliber early. But to me, I, I think that's where a lot of the focus will be. Bobby will be that stalwart, the consistent force that you're used to. But can some of these young guys really come in and make an impact? And, you know, can Daryl Taylor be a guy that they're expecting him to be and a contributor that they're expecting him to be? So for better or for worse, I think that's where they're going to be looking. Because, look, Jonathan Taylor He's no joke, and if he can get past that second line, get past the the defensive line, past the linebackers, it's going to be an issue even for players like Jamal Adams trying to track down a guy like that. So for me, can those young linebackers truly show us what the front office believes they can be? Um, But what about you, Curtis? Where do you think your eyes will be drawn to in this first matchup? Well, yeah, you you mentioned Jonathan Taylor there. He averaged five yards a carry as a rookie a year ago, had over 1,000 yards, had double-digit touchdowns, too. He was a, a force for that Colts offense, and I think he's going to have an even bigger role this year, especially if Carson Wentz it doesn't have the bounce back that I think a lot of indie fans are hoping he will have, especially now that he's back with Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator during Wentz's best seasons in Philadelphia. Um I think to me, there are going to be two things that we talk about on Monday. And, and really, it's it's kind of the two things that have been a huge focal point of this offseason. For me, the offense. What will the Seahawks offense look like? Will they have struggles? Will they have successes? I, I think there's going to be – I don't think it's going to be as seamless as we're kind of hoping and, and as seamless as it has been talked up. I mean, look, this is an offense that is almost – just it's almost opposite of what we kind of expect from a Pete Carroll offense or a team that Pete Carroll has coached. It's always been, you know, ground and pound and, and, you know, get four yards, run, run pass. Uh, But no, Shane Waldron, his offense is all about, you know, getting guys in space and keeping the defense honest and, and, and off balance and going a lot of East to West, not necessarily a ton of North and South. So, when I look at this offense, that to me is going to be the biggest story coming out of this game on Monday. Now, defensively for the Seahawks, I think the secondary, that's going to be what I see from this team or what I'm going to be watching for tomorrow is how are they going to handle going up against Carson Wentz? The safety play, I think will be fine. Diggs and Adams, one of the best combos in the league at, at that position. But the cornerbacks, DJ Reed, John Reed, you've got Sidney Jones, who is going to play a big role, and he's only been here for you know a couple of weeks. You've got Trey Flowers, who a lot is expected of him, not necessarily because of his play in the preseason, but just because Pete Carroll has basically said, look, this is your time. Like, Go out there and show us why we believe in you. And to me, that, that just the secondary where it currently stands with the defensive backs with the cornerbacks, especially it's very unsettling. And I, I worry that 
it could have a negative impact on this game, even with Carson Wentz at quarterback, who we saw a year ago with Philadelphia. He was he was garbage against Seattle, let's be honest. But that was then, this is now. Yeah, totally. And and you'll also kind of worry, and we got a text in from the, uh, let's see, from the 253, if Wentz gets knocked out, you know, Eason might come in and he might be even better than Wentz. And that's not what you necessarily want to see. So let's keep this injured version of Carson Wentz maybe upright and under center as long as possible. But no, um, you mentioned the cornerbacks there, Curtis. Great point. It's been the talk of the off season. One of the, the the focuses of the fans and reporters and everyone. You know who's going to be playing where. You know, there's a long tradition of great corner play here in Seattle under the Pete Carroll era. So will that continue? But to me, of the two opening games, the Titans and the Colts. Boy, I'm glad the Colts are the first game up, and it's not going to have to be AJ Brown and <laughs> Julio Jones week one. I'm trying to figure out who's who. You know, let the guys get settled, let them figure out, let them play a little injured Carson Wentz, overthrowing dudes, you know, making weird throws like he's filming a YouTube video back in high school. <laughs> That's what I'm with, expecting. With garbage can trick shots. If you haven't yeah. watched that video, by the way, do so immediately. Just YouTube search Carson Wentz trick shot. And it is Carson Wentz when he's probably, what, like 14 or 15? Just yeah. pimply face. Uh, he's got bangs. It, he looks like someone who is very much 14 years old in that yes. video. Uh, very corny, you know, trick shots. It's great. It is a great watch. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite YouTube videos really out there. Shout out to Carson Wentz for blessing us with that. But speaking of Wentz, and, and hopefully he's uh, you know having accuracy issues tomorrow, what do you think he's going to bring to the table against the Seahawks team? Do you think he is going to help or hurt Indianapolis? Because, look, he might be the ultimate wild card at quarterback in the NFL, not just you know with this Colts team, but maybe in the entire league because Wentz, had some good years in Philadelphia. You cannot forget about that 2017 season when, if it weren't for him, the Eagles would not have been in position to do what they did in the playoffs. Obviously, Nick Foles won the Super Bowl for Philadelphia, but they would not have been the top seed in the NFC if it weren't for the regular season that Wentz put together. Do you think that that quarterback is long gone, that, boy, that was just a flash in the pan, it was one good season from Carson Wentz, or is there a, a quarterback within him that can still lead a team back to the playoffs? Yeah, I don't know if that quarterback's completely gone, but I don't know if he's completely back and that that is who he is. And coming off an injury, and this being your first live football action from that injury, if I had to bet... I'm not a betting guy. We talked about it earlier, but if I had to bet, I would bet that he does not help his team and that it's more of a hindrance that he tried to get himself out there to try and be that guy than to let Eason, the heir apparent, who's been healthy, who's been getting some of these reps, potentially go out there and start this game one for you and Look, I can never tell a competitor what to do, and that would be foolish of me. I know his drive. He wants to be out there no matter what. 100%, 10%, 1%, he wants to be out there fighting with these guys. But you start to think, and we'll find out probably pretty early on in the game tomorrow, whether or not they should have gone with a guy like Eason, younger guy, even win or lose, to just let Wentz get a little bit healthier 
knowing that it's just the first game and maybe it's if you buy him a little bit more time, it helps him longevity wise in the season. So to me, I think we might be talking about Wentz hurting this team by trying to force himself out there and help trying to help his team. Yeah, because, I mean, the recovery time for the foot injury that he suffered was between 5 and 12 weeks, which is a a very (laughs) wide window for anybody to return from. And he came back, I believe, after just four or five weeks of rehab, which, I mean, tip of the cap to him for being able to come back as as quickly as he did. Same with Quentin Nelson, uh, who will likely be out there, too, for the Colts in week one on the offensive line. But, look... I don't think Wentz is going to be as mobile as he has been in the past because he he's kind of a, you know, hate to use the cliche, sneaky fast. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, He's somebody that does use his legs to keep plays alive. He has always been that kind of quarterback. Uh, luckily for him, Jadevian Clowney not on the Seahawks roster anymore, so he doesn't have to worry about, you know, getting his head dragged into the ground, but, uh, you know, shout out to Eagles fans who still aren't over that, Um, but (laughs) look, this Seahawks game tomorrow, I am very much looking forward to how the Seahawks pass rush goes up against the Colts. And and is it going to be what we saw from them in the second half of the season? I mean, look, you've got Carlos Dunlap right now. You've got every other guy that was there a year ago, pretty much Benson Mayoa. You've got Alton Robinson. Look, you bring in Kerry Hyder Jr., who had double-digit sacks a year ago for the 49ers when he was pressed into duty, filling in for Nick Bosa. I look at this Seahawks defensive line and this pass rush, they could kind of wreak havoc at times, or at least that's the potential of this group. And as we know, Carson Wentz, not a good quarterback when he is staring down the gun barrel, like I would anticipate him to do, even with how good of an offensive line the Colts have. Yeah, I agree with you. My prediction again is sack lunges for a couple players on this Seahawks defense and, Don't be surprised if you see Adams coming off the edge. Don't be surprised if you see Dunlap shifting over and doing some unique stuff with, with the way he lines up as well. And, and yeah, look, the, this is an opportunity for them to come out and really show who they are again, both sides of the ball defensively and offensively. We heard about it all off season about the defense and, and, you know, them trying to get better and all that. And then you heard about the new offense and the whole new system that they did put in place there. So, a lot to be uh, discovered about the Seahawks team, and uh, I think pretty early on, first half, a lot of the impressions will be pretty clear about where this team can go this season. Coming up next, we will get you set for Cougars pregame, which starts at 1 o'clock. But before all that, it is time for your shout-outs. It's time for our shout-outs. That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday. Text yours into the Mac and Jack's text line, 710-710. Who are you shouting out this week? We'll get to those next year on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Curtis Rogers and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. It's about that time here on Seattle Sports Saturday as we do every single time we convene here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Our final segment. It's always shout-outs. Text yours in to the Mac and Jack's text line 710-710 as we get you closer and closer to Coog's pregame, which will come your way at 1 o'clock right here on these very airwaves. 
Uh, but shout-out time. Let's get to some shout-outs here. Uh, 425, shout-out to me for getting promoted. Promotion's always good. Shout-out to the 425. Wait, Curtis, before you move on, though, the promotion is in video games. I finally Ah. got out of Diamond and Rocket League, which, you know, different type of promotion. I'm not going to say it's just as good as a regular promotion (laughs) in your job because it's not. Um, But I will say, getting promoted in ranked, always difficult, no matter the game. Uh, So shout-out 425. Rocket League, very, very popular these days. Oh, yeah. Uh, 360 Rainbow shouting out all the first responders and, of course, the best show on radio. We appreciate the kind words there, 360. Uh, yeah, first responders, I mean, today, obviously, a, a somber day here in the United States. 20 years ago uh, was the greatest tragedy in American history, September 11, 2001. It's, it's September 11, 2021, and... I mean, just thinking back to where we all were two decades ago, uh, I was in fifth grade, and um, just a, a really, uh, you know, it's a tough day for everybody, but sports has a way of, of bringing this country together in a way that very few things can. And in the aftermath of 9-11, we saw sports play a huge role in getting this country you know, not necessarily back up off the ground because, I mean, look, when you have a tragedy like that, it takes it takes so long. I mean, we're t- we're two decades out from it, and it still reverberates throughout American society and and culture and just every aspect of life, really, here in the United States and. I mean, we're never going to forget the images that we saw on that day, even though we, you know, I have lived in the state of Washington most of my life, you know, 3,000 miles away from the site of the, the, you know, carnage. It's still, you know, one of those things, Taylor, that, I mean, we're 20 years out and it's hard to fathom that it's been 20 years when the memories of that day are still so fresh in everybody's minds. Oh, yeah, I can still hear my mom telling me that this is the day the world will change forever. And it did. And it has since then. And things have been quite different. And it's um, it's yeah, it's a, it's a lot to think about. Right. There, there's so much. You think about all the pain of the day. You think about all the unification that came from it and how many American flags you saw on the streets and how people it felt like truly came together after one of the darkest days in this country's history. And then you think about all the heroes who, who were truly, you know, selfless in every single way. And some people rushing into chaos, some people diverting chaos and knowing that they would give their lives to prevent more chaos. And in the time it takes us to do this segment, Curtis, I heard this earlier today In the time it takes us to do this shout out segment, which we love every week, the people on on United Flight 93 made a decision to to give their lives to prevent the loss of, of further chaos and more carnage, like you said. So, yeah, it makes you reflect on the heroes, the people who went out and decided that it was still OK to play the game and, and what sort of hope it provided to people because it was just about the game. It wasn't really about wins or losses. The image of Sammy Sosa running 
to the outfield with that American flag and all the flags waving in all the games, football, baseball, across the country, and even around the world, the unification of people coming and standing behind this country. So I encourage you today to reflect on some of the positive. I encourage you to also reflect on some of some of the negative that we went through and the people who lost their lives and aren't here anymore. And you know, the people who were selfless in all of their acts. So I encourage you to, to use your shout outs this week and today, more importantly, to think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there are, I think there are less and less things that tie all of us together, you know, just as we all kind of go our separate ways throughout the week and whatever. But those of us who were alive 20 years ago today, that is something that we all kind of share and, and we all remember where we were when we found out the news uh, of, you know, just the first plane hitting the twin towers and then the second one and the Pentagon and then Pennsylvania. Um, I mean, I, I remember where I was, my dad woke me up that morning and it, what was wild about that is about a month prior, we were in New York city, uh, my family on a vacation and uh, you know, we were on a boat tour that, you know, was on the harbor in New York there. You got to see the entire skyline. We saw the Twin Towers. Um, and, and, you know, just as a fifth grader, you know, you don't really remember, you know, you're on a vacation like that. You don't really understand the entire significance of, of all that. But, you know, just a month after the fact, it really, you know, hit home like, wow, I was in that city. And now all of a sudden, there could have been somebody that we came into contact with that uh, may have lost their life that day. Who knows? But uh, I mean, it, it just it is so hard to fathom even two decades out the amount of of destruction that happened that day. And, uh, you, you know, you hope and, and, and pray that nothing like that ever happens again anywhere in the world. Like, I don't want that to happen to anybody ever again. Um, because it, it is still just so, so hard to fathom, uh, just all that went down that day. But look, you know, it hasn't happened since. And, and you just kind of hope that it continues on that, that route because boy, it has been, uh, you know, a lot of healing has happened since then. I still think there, there is still a lot of healing that can take place over the next 20 years and, and it's not, you know, ever going to go away. You just got to take it, you know, one year at a time, especially, you know, on a day like today, whenever September 11th comes around, you always got to take time and reflect. Yeah. And uh, one quick thing, of course, the first responders, you know, the policemen and women, the fire, the firefighters, every single one of them who rushed in. And then one thing not to overlook, Curtis, how about the hundreds of search dogs and search animals that helped out? during 9-11 and for months helping to to look for people and, and bodies and help clear you know rubble and wreckage and to be a part of that process and you know oftentimes the pets get overlooked in these things and they're not pets they were just as part of the process as as anyone else and there's many great stories and inspiring stories to look for so i i encourage you to look for those stories today yeah uh yeah, just take some time to reflect and, uh, you know, be be nice to somebody. Pass it on because this is a day where so many of us uh, are are looking back and, and just, you know, kind of still shaking a little bit by it 
two decades later. But you know what? Day by day, it may not get any easier, but look, it puts it even into more perspective uh, every single day that passes since September 11th. But that's going to do it for us here today. Uh, we've got so much just in store here on 710 later today. we got Cougar pregame coming up next. We've got Mariners taking on the Diamondbacks in Game 2 of the three-game series. So he is Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. Make sure you are downloading the Seattle Sports Saturday podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, 710sports.com. Every hour of every show is available for you at your fingertips. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back with you in two weeks from now right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.